Outdoor adventure gear can be pretty expensive to buy if you don't have access to something like a gear lending library. Even an entry-level climbing, cycle touring, or backpacking kit can cost hundreds of dollars brand new. Now, imagine you want to get into climbing and, say, kayaking within the same calendar year, and you can guess how quickly those costs would add up. Don't worry, though. With some luck, good timing, flexibility, and advice from seasoned gearheads, it's possible to find the gear you need affordably and make it last a long time. Dion, Lauren, and Caroline from last week's episode about the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library put their combined experience together for this episode on buying and borrowing outdoor gear on a budget. They're three outdoor enthusiasts who probably have experience in about a dozen outdoor adventure sports between them, including hiking, camping, paddling, skiing, and cycling. Together, they run the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library in Guelph, Ontario. Today, they'll offer advice on how to affordably and sustainably stock your gear closet, how to get the most out of your gear and extend its longevity, and tips and tricks for maintaining and repairing your gear on the go. Just a note, this is the second half of the interview our last episode was built around. If you want to learn more about Dion, Lauren, Caroline, and the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library, listen to episode 15, Anatomy of an Outdoor Gear Library. If you want to help support the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library, check out their website, BIPOCOutdoorGearLibrary.com. That's B-I-P-O-C OutdoorGearLibrary.com to make a donation or to learn about volunteer opportunities. And as always, if you're enjoying the show, if you hate the show, if you have any feedback for me, um, please feel free to leave a review and a rating or reach out to me via the Catch Me Outside Instagram uh, account and, um, you know, share your thoughts. Anyway, I'm Megan Dallaire, this is Catch Me Outside, and without further delay, let's get to it. So basically, the three of you are very experienced uh, outdoors outdoors people, um, and I feel like, although not everybody can access something, uh, you know, an amazing resource like the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library, there are so many folks out there who want to get involved in, you know, hiking or car camping or, or, or canoeing or, or what have you. So I'm hoping that the three of you can maybe offer some advice for people who don't have access to, to that kind of resource, but who want to get a hold of, you know, enough gear to be able to, to, to dip their toes in whatever outdoor um, sport they're interested in. I mean, I can start by sure by suggesting that yes, while there might not be a library, a lending library um, local to you, there are opportunities for rentals at a lot of different places, outfitting um, uh, locations. So, for instance, Caroline and I used to work at a port at the Portage store in Algonquin Park, and um, they have rentals, and that's often what we would use on the days. Uh, off work <laughs> would be the uh, outfitting equipment that was available for for folks, especially because a, a lot of the people who came through the Portage store in Algonquin Park were from other countries. And so oh. it means that they're not bringing with them all the equipment necessarily that they would need. And so um, there are outfitting organizations that are there for that purpose. Obviously, there is a fee associated with that, but it's a great mm -hmm. way to maybe use some equipment um, that, uh, you know, that you can sort of try out for the first time or maybe reuse and then consider, 
investing in your own if it's something that you really enjoy. I think the other thing that that experience helped me appreciate was that the gear that we were giving out at the Porta store wasn't necessarily top of the line. Right. <laughs> you know, even our tents were kind of like simple A-frame tents, if you remember care. <laughs> so, um, and our packs were, you know, really big, um, but kind of dated packs. <laughs> but they worked just as well. Um, and so that was a really good reminder for me and what I continue to, um, you know, communicate in terms of stocking your own gear closet um, is to make sure that you recognize that you don't necessarily need to go all out, especially on your first kit, um, that you can maybe look to get used equipment, um, Mm -hmm. especially right now with the uh, pandemic. There's a lot of people who went and bought a whole bunch of gear and then aren't going to use it again. (laughs) And so the um, on Facebook marketplace, there's Um, Other sort of buy and sell type Facebook groups too, um, I'm sure off Facebook as well, where you can get used gear for pretty cheap and people are willing to offload it. So if that was of interest to you, um, you know, you've tried the uh, the activity and you're looking to maybe stock up yourself, that those are, uh, that's a really good way to get it for, for a reasonable price. Maybe I'll just jump in and add to that, that in addition to the Facebook marketplace and those kinds of things, a lot of communities also have um, free cycle pages. Mm. Um, So these are just, you know, networks of people who are trading their things. So if they have something that they, you know, can't use anymore or aren't interested in storing anymore, which is the case for a lot of folks. Um, they'll post it on there and generally speaking they are free as long as somebody else will come and pick them up Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's a good place to find gear particularly as Dee was saying in the post-pandemic world where lots of folks um, can't store gear that they may not use all the time. Um, I, I also wanted to sort of add to another point that Dee made where she was talking about not always needing the highest, you know, quality gear. And I'll just add to this that, you know, the conversation is also about picking the right level of gear for the activity that you're doing. Mm. And I think this one is important from both a safety perspective as well as a budget perspective. So, for example, if you're planning to go on a hike that would be very technical uh, might involve a lot of uneven ground or you're climbing or scrambling, um, you know, or if you had a knee issue or another type of injury that meant you weren't so stable, then perhaps you might want to look for or, or look to acquire hiking poles before you go. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, for most hikes in lots of places in Ontario, you don't need hiking poles or you could make do with, you know, a sturdy stick that you found on site. Yeah. So making sure you understand the level of technical difficulty involved in the activity that you're doing and the recommended um, equipment that might be needed would also be an important point there. Uh, just, just so that you're not trying to acquire uh, equipment that you don't necessarily need. Beyond that, I think... My, especially in my experience, it's a lot about sharing. Yeah. Um, 
of equipment, which is where the concept of a, li a lending library comes from. But, you know, within lots of friend groups, there's somebody who has a tent and somebody else who has an extra sleeping bag uh, or sleeping mat, et cetera, et cetera. And, and everyone sharing is sort of the kind of uh, network that I come from and how I sourced my gear when yeah. I was, um, and still do. And beyond that, then you have a built-in community of people who generally have the same interest and uh, you have built-in tripping buddies, which is awesome. Woohoo! Caroline, what, do you know the names of any of those, uh, like, uh, what did you call it? Like a free, free share? Or... Uh, I've heard them called free cycle, like free cycle. recycle, but free cycle. Right. Oh, is it um, called, is there like a free cycle... Are there like sort of regional like free cycle outdoor Facebook yeah. groups? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, so a lot okay. of them are on Facebook, but you can you can kind of Google free cycle in your area. Yeah. And generally speaking, you'll come up with a website um, or a, a group, a Facebook group or something. Yeah, I think within there's like your area. there's like the pals trading too, oh, which yeah. is a good yeah. option, and then. I, I mentioned sort of buy and sells. There's one called Ontario Camping Gear Buy, Sell, and Trade. Um, they, you know, people are posting there all the time on stuff that they're looking to offload. So um, definitely another good resource for that. Yeah, I think there's also one for outdoor gear deals that I'm, I've am i also joined. It's just like people posting when, when things go on sale. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And Lauren, sorry, you've been waiting so patiently. <laughs> oh, yeah, no worries. Um, I was going to say, too, uh, like, obviously, the types of gear that you might need for a trip um, can be pretty diverse. And so there are some, like, bigger pieces, like canoes and paddles and um, PFDs. And then there are, like, smaller pieces, like dry bags or flashlights and mosquito nets. And some of the smaller pieces uh, you can purchase quite affordably at places like the dollar store. <laughs> or like surplus stores um, and you can get things that are reusable and like fairly decent if you're just, you know, trying things out or doing like activities that are, you know, lower risk or intensity. Um, and then I was going to say as well that um, being able to discern like what are the pieces that you will use over and over and over and over again mm -hmm. that you'll really need like a good reusable water bottle that you should probably just purchase um, uh, can be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And there are like household items that, that have multiple uses that you can, you know, that can be surprisingly helpful in the backcountry. Like if you have some Tyvek, you know, at home, you can use that as a ground sheet for your tent or, or whatever. And so if you had to like name a couple of um, groups, I mean, I think Dee already named the, the, the gear like buy and sell group. Um, and we, were there any other, websites or or online groups or Facebook pages that people could um, could check out if they're looking to either borrow gear or, or or buy something used that maybe haven't been mentioned yet um, I know of a couple in Ontario anyway that I might as well you know <laughs> help them along too if you're in the Ottawa area you would mm. have to check out the Ottawa outdoor gear library mm. um, they they've been another great resource for us and they're getting something going there that is really impressive um also in kw so not far from here kitchener waterloo library mm -hmm. of things they've got um not just sort of types of 
you know, tools and household items, but they also have a few uh, outdoor equipment um, items as well, just in case you can't get out to us in Guelph or that's somehow more convenient. Um, but yeah, those are those are a couple of the sort of lending model options within Ontario that we know of anyway, and I'm sure many more will start to pop up soon too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and actually, you've got me thinking about when you mentioned the Ottawa Outdoor, um, you made me think of like the Ottawa Outdoor Club and the Toronto Outdoor Club. I suppose that's probably another way that people can try, Not, it's not necessarily stocking their gear closet, but if they want to try something and they don't have the gear, sometimes these groups will have like, they'll have extras or they'll have redundancies. So if you join like a weekend backpacking trip through uh, a, a club, um, then you know, somebody will probably have some gear to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so, okay. So for people who already, you know, have some gear, what are some tips that you might share for, for making it really last, um, you know, getting the most use out of it as possible before they have to replace it? Yeah, I think I can take a step at this. Um, I, you know, I, my husband is somebody who uh, worked in gear shops for a long time. And so he's, uh, he's taught me a lot about how to care for and maintain gear. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's, uh, that's a really critical step to making the gear last for a long time, because we, you know, we both have uh, pieces of our equipment that have been going for 25 plus years. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff is, is built to last, but uh, does need sort of consistent care for it. And that can be uh, everything from sort of how you store it. So making sure it's clean and dry and stored appropriately. So down sleeping bags don't get stored. Compressed, they get stored in um, sort of a looser bag so that yeah. the down is not getting crushed. Or tents, you know, you make sure that you clean and dry them completely before you put them in a stuff sack. Otherwise you can get issues like mildew uh, or mold. Um, so a, a bit of it is about storage and care. Uh, then other pieces need a little bit more maintenance. So for example, Gore-Tex jackets or mm. um, rain pants or those types of things. They recommend that you wash those pieces after every use. Um, to make sure that dirt and oils, et cetera, don't clog the membranes that are in the equipment. And then uh, every now and again, you're supposed to treat them with re-waterproofing agent to make sure that the, the waterproofing um, quality doesn't degrade. So there's, um, there's some pieces that will need sort of active... Uh, very active maintenance and other pieces that sort of just it relies on how you sort of clean and store them but that time and effort that is put into maintaining the gear has in my experience really really pays off in the end because you can make something last for a really long time also if you're willing to put in you know just a little bit of effort with mending sometimes you can get away with you know just a few stitches here and there can really strengthen a seam and keep something going for a little bit longer. Um, so those are kind of, that's kind of in the realm of what we do to make sure that our gear lasts for as long as possible. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. And I think, you know, people should be aware that 
you can buy, you know, tenacious tape to repair a, a hole in a tent. Like just because your your tent develops a rip or something like that doesn't mean that it's 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 garbage. Like you can, it's okay <laughs> to have patches and things on your gear, um, and it'll still function very well. And then uh, to your point about maintaining maintaining your gear, yeah, I feel like almost every piece of outdoor gear has has some maintenance requirements that you should be aware of when you when you buy it like you know like even a, a water filter needs to be back flushed regularly and when you come home from a trip you know you, you should probably soak it in vinegar to get rid of mineral buildup and you know flush some water with like bleach or chlorine or whatever and so yeah like everything pretty much requires some maintenance yeah exactly yeah I was gonna say like building that into your schedule like the time to do that work is important. Um, and like actually read the manual. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, can, can be really important. And for those, uh, that have access to That's a key piece of advice, Laura. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I know. As someone who like will try and build Ikea furniture without looking at, you know, (laughs) looking at any of the instructions or, um, try and get to a place without looking at a map. Um, I think reading the manual is important and building that time in and, um, using gear what it's meant for, like for what it's actually meant for mm-hmm. <laughs> really important um and if you don't know what that is uh youtube mm. you know uh there are lots of videos on youtube where you can find like a close enough version um and i think Kara's done a lot of this work for the library where if we didn't have access to a manual you could look up a manual of a piece of equipment and find something close enough that you would have some sort of idea right yeah absolutely um Just to build on that, Lauren, because that's a great point, there's a lot of how-to videos on YouTube that go into how to use equipment, so like how to set up your new cot or how to set up a a four-person dome tent um, that would be close enough, but also how to clean, how to maintain, how to patch, how to sew uh, things on, on all of your pieces of equipment. So a lot of folks out there are really knowledgeable about how to make things last for a really long time and which, I mean, to a, a point that you made earlier, Megan, which pieces are sort of critical or like which um, which damages to mm-hmm. a piece of equipment are critical and, you know, can't be mended and which, you know, you can get by with a patch. Yeah, and and one of the questions that I was going to ask too was, you know, like advice about mending your own gear. And I can't remember now if it was Caroline or Lauren who mentioned it, but like there are so many um, YouTube videos out there and tutorials, uh, just like walking people through, you know, how to how to sew this, how to patch that, how to fortify or strengthen a seam or something like that. Um, it's worth it. <laughs> you have to do it because if you're gonna put that investment into those items you do want it to last. And I've had situations where unfortunately my, my hiking pack, which I had also taken backpacking in Europe, it got caught in like an airport thing. And so one of the, um, one of the straps came loose in a way. It's unfortunate, right? And I had spent so much money on that, but it was worth it for me to find a way to get it mended. I, at the time, I will admit, I wasn't the one who did it, (laughs) but um, I did go to, and this might be like another little tip, I went to a a place where they like do shoe repairs, and 
they are often ones who will mend packs and seams and stuff like that um, at a pretty reasonable oh. price. So little tip that if you're not the most handy or willing to kind of sit through a YouTube video, that there are places that will mend stuff like that too. And it might be worth it to do that rather than go and buy a whole new pack. Oh, so you went to like a cobbler or like, yeah, like a shoe repair? Yeah, it was like person? a shoe repair place. And they're just oh. known for making those types of fixes for, a, you know, shoes and apparel and things like that. So of course they would, they would have that knowledge and, and whatever they need to make those types of men's as well. Oh, that's such a good tip. And Lauren, you had a point? Yeah, I was going to say too around the access to like the YouTube videos or their like online education. Um, that can also be really important in terms of like ensuring like the fit of a pack or the seasons of a tent mm. um, and ways to like choose the right gear for you so that the gear that you choose has like a long life so that it's sustainable for you, not only for your use, but also um, it's less likely to degrade. Yeah, good point. Like if you're to, to ensure that you're not like misusing it and 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 putting excessive pressure on it kind of thing yeah um just to go back to something that d mentioned about you know given her story with the with her pack i would say too that there's you know there's things that you can do through maintenance and repair at home to increase the longevity but there's also fixes that you can consider while you're out you know on a trip or if something happens while you're using the gear and I think I know a lot of folks carry duct tape or hockey tape or some sort of uh you know tenacious tape those types of things that can yeah yeah (laughs) that can that can do the quick fix while you're on the road you know I've certainly walked out of uh trips with boots that are held together by duct tape (laughs) always Um, bring duct tape all duct tape yeah bungee cords yeah, um, and extra pieces of rope, you yeah, know, all rope, of these things yeah, sure. can be can be used to sort of keep your gear going if it fails while you're using it. Good point, um, but the other okay. thing is that you can often find replacements for that really fancy uh, gear maintenance, whatever material or cleaner or whatever the case may be. Uh, if you need it in a pinch, I'm recalling a time my husband and I were traveling in um, throughout Southern Africa at the time, and the sun just ate away at the waterproofness uh. of our fly for our tent. And the very next country we went to, we were in rainy season, and it was raining all day, so it was raining inside of our tent. And as you would imagine, you know, we couldn't get access to one of those waterproofing sprays for the tent fly. But we found a leather waterproofer wax um, that folks used for hats and shoes and that sort of thing. And we rubbed that all over the tent fly and it worked. So um, get creative, I would say, sometimes too, especially if things are on their last legs or if you're in a pinch. Um, Think about what else can be used uh, to, to help with what you need. I was going to say too, um, that some gear, like if it has like rips or tears, um, might not be usable at all. Yeah. (laughs) And it's important to know that like things like personal flotation devices, um, might not be legal to use with rips and tears, or if they're like after like four years plus past the manufacture date. So for like PFDs or flares or other, um, uh, 
yeah, other, other equipment. So you might also want to check in if uh, something has been um, degraded, whether or not you still can use it legally. That's a good point. Like helmets too, like climbing helmets, you know, or, or if you drop your water filter or something like that, like those aren't things that you want to try and fix and keep using. Yeah. And maybe like, that's a really good point that uh, part of your assessment should be whether fixing it is a comfort thing or a safety critical thing. Mm -hmm. So to Lauren's point, you know, if it's, if it's to do with personal safety equipment and whether or not it can function, then that's something that you might want to look seriously at, not trying to duct tape your way through it. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I mean, Lauren made a really good, good point there. And I also want to mention that, you know, since we are talking about the gear library that we've got going on, that we've been really trying to make sure that the equipment is in good working order and also isn't too old. You know, Kara mentioned like having equipment that's 25 years old. There's so much out there that lasts that long and it's great, but there's also a lot of improvements that are made over the years that make it so that it's that much more easy or comfortable to use the gear. Um, And so we're trying to kind of encourage people, even with the library, to make sure that donations not only are in good shape and maybe don't require a lot of mending, but, um, but also are you know, a little bit more up to date. And I say stuff like that just in regards to things like tents. I don't know if you all remember, but tents from when we were kids, you know, weighed a hundred pounds probably on their own (laughs) and were, had the big bars and poles and things like that. Um, And tents nowadays are really lightweight (laughs) and take up a lot less space in the car. So um, yeah, there's sort of, there's, there is something to be said for kind of making that upgrade if it's something that you can um, can afford and are willing to do so. I think the other thing I wanted to mention is that mending your gear is not just something to save money, um, but it's also a great way to make sure that we're not adding more things to landfills unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, you know, the whole point of the lending library that we've got going is to help with that lending economy and making sure that we're kind of upcycling and reusing things that otherwise would have been thrown out for no reason um, or no good reason anyway, especially if it could be mended. Reduce, reuse, and then last recycle. Exactly. I have one final point about um, repairing and mending gear, etc. And that would just be, um, if you have gear, one of the things I would encourage is that you check the warranty on it. Mm. A lot of company gear companies, and this is everything sort of from like Woods to Arcturix or, you know, any of the major brands, some of them have quite strong warranties Mm. with regard to their equipment and most will stand behind it and repair something that has happened in the normal you know the normal use of the gear so to Lauren's point so long as you're using the gear for the purpose it was intended and as it was intended if something comes up um, many will stand behind it and repair the equipment or in some cases replace it if they can't repair it Um, so check your warranties 
That's such a good point. And yes, yeah, so important for people to, to be aware of. Like I, I think, um, uh, uh, Osprey has a really, really good lifetime warranty as well. Like they'll, I don't know about repairs, but I know they'll replace a pack if, if, uh, if there are any like major failures. Um, and so, yeah. And another, another thing I was aware of is that Merrill is allowing you to return your hiking boots and they'll go and reuse that material in the making of new boots. So if you happen to have Merrill boots, it's one of those things where you can actually return it back to the company. Oh, that's so cool. And and is it sort of like a in return you get to feel good about um keeping keeping those materials within um Yeah, you know, more of like circulation? a circular, you know, manufacturing process. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's so awesome. So manufacturers will repair some gear if it's like you said, um damaged within reasonable use. Um are there other and then we <laughs> we had the amazing tip about the shoe repair places. Um, are there other um, companies or avenues or organizations that that any of you can think of that will also repair gear? Yeah, um, I think that there are some places that do repair gear. I know of one in Toronto, but to be honest, I, we haven't, I, <laughs> I consulted with my my community of folks that we trip with to see if anybody knew of any repair shops in their areas or they have ones that they use. And there's like one or two that exist, although no one has sort of checked on them since the pandemic. So hopefully they're still open. Um, That said, it's not very common. And so I think in general, you know, I've used seamstresses before, Mm. Uh, some dry cleaning shops that offer um, seamstress services will also take in, you know, minor repairs for like zippers um, or sewing a, a fairly even line on a pack or a tent or those types of things. Yeah. Um, to your point about that invalidating the warranty, it can. Mm-hmm. So, um if there is a warranty and the company will do the repair, then, you know, most times I would check that first and get it repaired through the company. But if they can't, or there isn't a warranty, then uh, seamstresses, dry cleaners, um, cobblers, other repair type um, stores or facilities can sometimes take on gear. But in my experience, I haven't seen too many, businesses that are specifically um their main goal is to repair gear yeah good point and i see lauren lauren wanted to add something yeah i was gonna say there's a sports sewing shop is that the one you were talking about care in toronto yeah that's the one yeah 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 um and they supposedly have really good recommendations but i think for folks who are living um in like smaller cities and towns or in like rural communities that um yeah, access to like repair shops dwindles. Um, uh, So I would also like suggest doing call outs because a lot of folks that have the capacity to repair these uh, types of like gear equipment learn so like intergenerationally as well. 
um, and from just like being outside and like using the equipment. And so yeah. like being a call out on like Kijiji or Facebook and being like, hey, is there someone in your family that has capacity to do this or has experience do- doing this, this type of repair work can be really helpful. That's a really good point. I never think to, to, you know, post like looking for ads on, on Kijiji and, and those Facebook groups. So yeah, that's, that's such a great point. Like, Hey, is there anyone out there who can repair this in, in this city or, or community or, or whatever? Um, yeah, that's a really great point. Was there anything else that, uh, uh, anyone would like to add about just like, yeah, affordably, um, uh, getting a hold of gear or making it last or anything like that? I have one more thing to add. Oh, yes. Um, when you're looking for gear, um, it's kind of like shopping for Halloween candy or like Christmas <laughs> decorations. Um, looking right after the season ends um, can also be really useful. Um, or at when the season first starts, when folks are generally looking to like unload their gear um, and either purchase new gear or like clean out their closets uh, can be really helpful um, versus... Um, looking like in the middle of the season, for example, when people are like actively probably using that gear. That's such a good point. And it also makes me think of the fact that um, in outdoor gear often like it's I don't think it's like a planned obsolescence thing, but every year there's a new edition of something or a new version of something, whether it's like a shoe, a boot, a trail runner, uh, an ultralight shelter or something like that. And I've noticed that whenever a new version of something comes out the the latest or like the the previous version tends to go on sale or people are selling it (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) yeah I see it all the time with with my you know with my favorite trail runners or yeah just just different pieces of gear backpacks things like that as soon as a new version comes out everyone wants it and the old version is is usually like you can find it fairly affordably used or new um so yeah all right. Well, I'd love to wrap up this interview with a couple of um, not so serious questions. So uh, I guess just, yeah, what is everyone's favorite piece of gear in your kit? Like your the thing that you are just you're so proud of or, or you love or, yeah, just really cherish or covet. What's your favorite piece of gear? I know mine. Yeah. <laughs> I have a Life Straw water bottle, um, which is like a... a like if has a filter actually in the water bottle so you don't have to pump at all yes. um you can literally just scoop straight from the water source and drink it and as someone who finds pumping very tedious uh, I really love that that's awesome and then if you're filtering water for food or something do you do, do you just boil the water or how does um yeah what do you how do you get water for 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 not drinking yeah, so um, generally I'll bring another filter um, uh, yeah. where I can like pump water into a bag um, and use for like cooking or cleaning or boiling water um, if that's not accessible to me. Yeah. Um, but the Life Straws is really, really useful when it comes to like, for example, just like being out paddling and you've already drank all your water. I drink a, a lot of water. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's good for, for those who are just like doing personal hydration. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I find like the majority of water that I filter in the backcountry is for drinking anyway, because when you're, yeah, when you're out 
out recreating, you want to stay hydrated. So that's, yeah, that's a really good tip. Um, have like a little one maybe for filtering cooking water and then, but the bulk of, of your water, you can just drink right through the straw. I was, I was also going to say my water bottle. I don't know. There's mm-hmm. something personal about your water bottle. It's like always got to be on you. Like you said, Megan, you've always got to stay hydrated anyway. I feel like it's kind of taken on a persona for me. <laughs> and next to that, it would probably be like a hip knife or something, you know, mm-hmm. some sort of utility knife that seems to be used for practically anything while, while camping or in the backcountry. I think for me... Um, there are so many, this is such a tough question. Um, and as we, as we camp with other folks, we sort of tend to adopt their great ideas. Um, but one that I, I would say is a game changer was the addition of, uh, we've added of gloves (laughs) to our camping kit and it just makes cooking over a fire so much easier so much easier. Ooh. So, um, you know, a, an of glove, not an oven mitt, because the of glove, like the fact that it has fingers allows you to manipulate grates and get close to pans and stuff over a roaring fire so that you can cook appropriately without burning anything. That's such a good idea, Care. I love that. See? Adopt it. It's great. I will. <laughs> I'm googling of gloves (laughs) that's such a good tip um okay and then what is what is everybody's non-negotiable luxury item um I I don't know if this is a luxury item but I tend to always bring one of those battery pack of string lights um (laughs) Because I want to sort of That's like amazing. create a little ambiance in the campsite. So I'm almost always the one that whips that out and people people love it. So I'm going to keep doing it. That's so amazing. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, for me, I think it would have to be I have a little blow-up pillow um, that you know, you can get them at like Mac or Sale or anywhere, but they are just so much better these days than stuffing a whole bunch of your used smelly clothes into a dry bag as a pillow. That's how I did yeah. it so, for so long. It was just, oh, me too, right? Like that's the way you did it. <laughs> so having an actual camping pillow that inflates and deflates is is definitely a luxury, and I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I'm still, yeah, I'm still at the, like, I stuff my puffy into a stuff sack for my tent, and then I stuff that into my buff, and that's my pillow, because I didn't want to carry the weight of an inflatable pillow, but they're, you're right, they're so much lighter and, and better these days, I, I'm pretty close to caving and buying one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and what are some other non-negotiable luxury items? Lauren, do you have one? I'm trying to think if I have one. Um... I really like camp meals, like the dehydrated camp meals, but they're actually quite expensive. Like some of the camp meals that you purchase can like range up to like 13 to $17 a meal. Yeah. Um, but they're very accessible when you're out on trip. Um, so I quite like those. And I would also say that this is not um, a luxury item, but it might be a luxury item if you're trying to pack light books. Mm. <laughs> 
Mm. Like there becomes a point, there comes a point in time um, in my camping experience where sometimes socializing doesn't feel super great, especially if you're out for multiple days with people um, and you kind of just need that alone time. So packing something that you can do to entertain yourself, uh, especially if you need some downtime can be important. I'd also add, and this is something that I never really did. Kara, I don't know if you did when you were backcountry camping when we were younger, but I never brought a chair along. And usually when you're backcountry camping, obviously you want to kind of be lightweight and you have only so much room. But I've discovered that the ultralight chairs that are available pack so light, um, or so small, I should say, and it that's a game changer to have. They're so expensive, though. <laughs> they're like 100 bucks plus from my experience so i would definitely kind of count that as a luxury item um but it def it makes it for a far more enjoyable backcountry experience yeah i mean i never did when we were younger d uh, i don't think they existed in a way that was feasible so to, either, to no. take them back right <laughs> like you had the foldable ones that you could bring if you were car camping but there's no way to stuff that into a pack. yeah they there were a lot of there were a lot more limited options i think when we when we started out yeah i also think like for another conversation maybe uh you know that is one of those things that gets filed under how camping and canoe tripping changes for us as we get older and mm -hmm. like you know what you need now that you never needed before or um how you can trip in a way that doesn't destroy your body <laughs> so you know there's there's all kinds of those kind uh those kinds of pieces of equipment that you know maybe i didn't need to consider when i was younger uh, or my different ability level at that stage but now I do need to consider and uh, you know thankfully there are a lot more products that are available so chairs would go under that um, but they've got you know lightweight cots and stuff as well if you uh, get too sore sleeping on the ground and 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 right like they they've changed the game completely since when I started to where we are now I was going to say too, one of the more expensive items that um, can also be really great to have can be like a really good PFD, um, whether it's like an inflatable PFD, which are like really sleek and they like look really nice um, and they're less like cumbersome in terms of like your movement, like minimizing your movement. Also, some of like the PFDs that are meant for like kayaking and paddling have like really amazing pockets in them that you can store like lots of fun things like a knife or snacks or your sunglasses so you don't lose those every single trip. Um, and those can get up there from like $69 up to like $300 plus. So um, like depending on your what you're able to spend on that, you can get some pretty cool ones. That's cool. And so I guess that's, that's a luxury item in the sense that like you need to have a PFD for certain activities, but you can shell out the extra, like the extra cash if you want for, for one that's, you know, that much more sleek or comfortable or functional or, or whatnot. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And books I think are, are, are a good one too. Like I know, um, you know, lots of people like to bring like a, an e-reader of some kind or a Kobo or something like that. Um, my, my luxury item is a mechanical pencil and a couple pages ripped out of a crossword puzzle. So <laughs> it's awesome. 
<laughs> yeah, but I feel like I feel like um, this has been my experience, and I don't know if if any of you have experienced this as well, but I feel like with something like backpacking or or maybe like paddling, um, there's this kind of like curve where you start off with with a lot of heavy you know, bulky gear, and then you become maybe kind of uh, preoccupied with lightening your load. So you go closer and closer to like lightweight or ultralight and you cut a lot of luxuries out. And then you reach a point where like your, your pack is so light or your kit is so light that, that you can afford to add things back in, like, you know, like an ultralight camp chair or a book or something like that. Did you find that? (laughs) I can, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Between that comment and even cares around, you know, the older you get, the more you want those comfort items with you. I think you're right, Megan, that we've sort of gotten to a point where we've reduced sort of the essentials down to a decent size and weight that it just sort of saves room for some of those funner items like books and camp chairs and string lights. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the canoes that I've had access to have been very heavy. (laughs) And portaging has been a very difficult task. And like for those folks that have um, like the the very light canoes, I'm just envious of (laughs) (laughs) like the fiberglass canoes. How much do those cost? Oh yeah, uh, ultra lightweight Kevlar is a it's like carrying a cloud comparatively, right? Yeah. Like back in the day, the back in the day, l- listen to me. But you know, like when I first started canoe tripping, portaging, you're portaging a boat that's seventy pounds easily, and you carry that on top of what's in your pack, and it's a it's a big load, and now you can get them and they're. 35 yeah so you can like throw in your 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 i don't know what's something heavy ham radio now that you've got all this extra <laughs> like you've cut so much weight down and you can throw in your yeah you can get that bluetooth speaker in there for sure hmm. or an extra bag of wine yeah Ooh, yeah oh yeah. yeah oh you know what lauren that's talk right. about game changers yeah wait a second we haven't talked about alcohol for those who like to imbibe for me it's the getting i call them the, the bladders of wine from a box oh, yeah. of wine because yeah i mean then i get an extra one in there oh yeah absolutely yeah like there's so many fun ways to to <laughs> to bring alcohol into the backcountry. I mean, as long as it's as long as glass. you take it back out again, though, right? <laughs> exactly. As long yeah, as you take yeah. it back out and you're not bringing glass that could potentially break. And yeah, yeah. All right. Well, was there anything anyone else wanted to add about anything? <laughs> no, honestly, this has been such a great conversation, Megan. Really Yay. appreciate you having us on and. Um, hopefully everyone enjoys what we have to say. I, I know I will when I edit the episode and listen to it all again and then listen to it again once it's live. And, and I think that there are going to be lots of folks out there who will really appreciate um, and, and learn from what you have to say. So um, thank you all so much for, for being on the show and, and for, yeah, yeah, just like, tr- I don't know, I guess trusting me <laughs> like to talk about um the BIPOC year library and everything you're working on. We hope that all the folks that are listening to this that are part of BIPOC communities that um, you feel like empowered to get outside 
you know, and if you have a lot of expertise to share that expertise with other folks, and if you don't to just try, um, and like we can't say enough how rewarding it is to have a connection to the outdoors and to have land knowledge and, um, to like be in these communities and how wonderful it is. Like a lot of folks in our communities have talked about how being outside has been a way to respond to trauma that we've experienced, respond to experiences of racism or sexism or homophobia or transphobia and, and other forms of harm. And that like being outside can be so healing. Um, and so we hope that you'll access the outside for fun and for community and then also for healing. Yeah. And I mean, thanks very much for, for hosting and for, having this conversation with us. We are so excited about this initiative and to build this community and share what we can um, because I think it's really important. I think we all think it's really important, which is fantastic. Um, and also it's been really, it's been really fun and rewarding to do. These ladies are amazing. So it's been such a great experience. Um, and look forward to building it more and better as we go.